Hey everybody, what's up? And welcome to Summarily, a podcast for busy lawyers. I am your host, Robert Scavone Jr. And today I have the pleasure of speaking with David Latt about the unacceptable behavior by some Stanford Law School students during a recent visit by U.S. Circuit Judge Kyle Duncan. David Latt is a lawyer turned writer. He publishes Original Jurisdiction, a newsletter on Substack about law and legal affairs, and writes for newspapers and magazines, including the New York Times, Washington Post, and Wall Street Journal. Prior to launching Original Jurisdiction, David founded Above the Law, one of the nation's most widely read legal news websites, and Underneath Their Robes, a popular blog about federal judges that he wrote under a pseudonym. He is also the author of a novel set in the world of the federal courts called Supreme Ambitions. Before entering the media world, David had a prolific legal career as a federal prosecutor in Newark, New Jersey, a litigation associate at Wachtell in New York, and as a judicial law clerk for Judge O'Scanlean on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit. David graduated from Harvard College and the Yale Law School, where he served as the editor of the Yale Law Journal. Before we get started, let me pause for the disclaimer. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an advertisement for legal services. The information provided on this podcast is not intended to be legal advice. You should not rely on what you hear on this podcast as legal advice. If you have a legal issue, please contact a lawyer. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts and guests are solely those of the individuals and do not represent the views or opinions of the firms or organizations with which they are affiliated or the views or opinions of this podcast's advertisers. This podcast is available for private, non-commercial use only. Any editing, reproduction, or redistribution of this podcast for commercial use or monetary gain without the expressed written consent of the podcast creators is prohibited. David Latt, thank you very much for joining me on the podcast. I really appreciate you taking some time today. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, absolutely. It's a pleasure. So we're here to talk a little bit about the kerfuffle that occurred back at Stanford Law School about, uh, I don't know, it was maybe two weeks ago now. Why don't you give us the background about how this happened uh, and we can go from there? Sure. So this all took place on March 9. Uh, Judge Duncan of the Fifth Circuit, a very conservative judge, was invited by the Stanford Federalist Society. He was going to give a talk about certain prominent rulings of the Fifth Circuit and how they relate to still developing Supreme Court case law in a few areas of interest to the public. He is a controversial figure mainly because of things he has done before the bench and also on the bench relating to LGBTQ, LGBTQ plus issues. As a litigator, he certainly litigated against marriage equality or same-sex marriage. As a judge, he issued an opinion uh, rejecting a prisoner's request to be referred to by her preferred pronouns. So before his arrival, posters were already being put up by Outlaw, which is the LGBTQ student group at Stanford, and NLG, National Lawyers Guild, which is a left-leaning group. And they were both attacking Judge Duncan and also criticizing Stanford FedSoc, Federalist Society, for inviting him. 
So on the morning of the event, or I guess the early afternoon, uh, Judge Duncan, as he was going into the room, was uh, confronted with about 100 protesters uh, yelling, screaming, making noise. One of them said to him, uh, we hope your daughters get raped, meaning that they would get raped and get pregnant and need abortion, which is an issue that Judge Duncan has worked on. Then once he got into the room, about 50 to 70, some number of protesters followed him in. And as you mentioned, they made it very difficult for him to deliver his prepared remarks, constantly heckling, interrupting, jeering, making noise. At a certain point, he asked for help from an administrator to quiet the room. And at this point, Dean Tyrion Steinbach, who's the Associate Dean for Diversity, Equity and Inclusion at Stanford, came up. And instead of just quieting the room, she delivered a six, seven minute speech in which she did acknowledge Stanford's free speech policy. And she told Judge Duncan, you're welcome to speak here. But then what she gave with one hand, she sort of took away with the other because she then criticized Judge Duncan, talked about how his presence and his life's work are very harmful and hurtful. And she kept on using this refrain, is the juice worth the squeeze? By which she meant to say, are your insights that you're going to share in your speech today so amazing, so great, so worth it, to justify the harm and the hurt that you are causing to the Stanford community. Right. After she which, gave which, the floor back. Yeah, which go ahead. begs the question, what's the threshold for importance that one has to come speak about in order? You know, it's just it's just a silly way of trying to to justify her comments, which, by the way, were prepared in advance. Which yes, she some, whipped some out a taken, prepared speech. Yes, a prepared speech, which some have looked at it and said, well, maybe this was all prepared because this was really a setup. They intended to do this to Judge Duncan so that they could make a spectacle out of the situation. But um, I'm sorry I interrupted. You can please uh, continue. Yeah. So after Judge Duncan took the floor again, he moved fairly quickly to questions and answers because he wasn't getting much headway with his prepared remarks. And so during the question and answer period, some of the questions were substantive, but some of the questions were rude and belligerent. There was a mix. He fielded them as best he could. And then the event ended about 35 to 40 minutes before its supposed start uh, end time. I wanted to to focus on a couple of things. First of all, the the way that the students responded. I, I went to law school. You went to law school. I can't imagine a situation where students at my law school would have responded to someone in this fashion calling the judge dude, screaming at him. You have to listen to the audio to get a full grasp for what this was all about. But it was just extraordinarily insulting. And look, I'm no fan of FedSoc, but by the same token, I understand that I'm part of a, of a profession. And as Judge Duncan noted on the other podcast I listened to him on, and many commentators have noted, these people are going into a profession where they're going to have to under they're going to have to be able to absorb things that are uncomfortable. They're going to have to be able to comport themselves in a certain way, even when they don't like what's going on. And that to me, and I think to most commentators, was what most was what was most alarming about this situation was that we're not dealing here with high school kids. You know, let's all keep in mind here that this these are soon to be lawyers most of them in their mid-20s, who we would expect to be able to comport themselves professionally. And from what I heard on the audio, they utterly failed at that. 
in the talks that you've had with people who are familiar with the situation, what has been the justification from the student's perspective about why they acted the way they did and more importantly, why they think they're allowed to act the way they did? I think their justification is that Judge Duncan has made his life's work uh, harming the LGBTQ community. And uh, as a result, his presence on campus had to be spoken out against that you can't just stand by silently when injustice comes to your institution. And then I think the other thing that people have argued and focused on in the wake of this is they have looked at Judge Duncan and they have said he did not conduct himself in a dignified way because mm -hmm. he started attacking the hecklers. He started saying the inmates are running the asylum. He called yes. some of them idiots. He responded to some of their questions dismissively. Mm -hmm. And so they've really made it in many ways about Judge Duncan saying that he did not show judicial temperament. He And they've said this, they've said, look, sure, they're law students, they are lawyers in training, but they're just students. He's a federal judge. He's a life-tenured federal judge. He has power. They don't have any power. He was the one who was responsible for acting like adult. And so he didn't. And therefore, they want to just focus the attention on him. I, I completely understand why Judge Duncan reacted the way he did at the, at, the, at, the, at the outset. But I think at some point he had to rein that in. He had to regain his composure. So I do think that there's a point at which he could have maybe turned this around a little bit because there certainly is a point at which the students did calm down a little bit. Some of them did ask substantive questions. And like you said, he was very dismissive of many of them. But where do you, when you look at this, I mean, you've you've covered this from the very start. If you had to assign blame here, how would you assess this? I would say that the blame for the violation of university policy and the violation of free speech rights was pretty much 100% on the protesters. Right. I think Judge Duncan committed a different offense. I think he was not civil. I think he was not uh, polite. Uh, but that's a separate issue in a way. And I think there's been a lot of whataboutism here. The, the real story is that a group of law students at a top law school uh, came and uh, and heckled and significantly disrupted the talk of a federal judge in violation of university policy. That's the story. The story is not a man lost his temper when people started saying vulgar things about his wife and his daughters. I wish he had acted differently. I wish he had acted in a more restrained way because he's just given all of this ammunition to his critics and really distracted a lot of people from what we should be focusing on, which is the free speech issue. Right. Yeah. And I want to get to that in a moment. But, you know, just to, to add a little bit of color to this, I mentioned that, you know, some of the students at about halfway through the presentation, if you can call it that, did start to ask uh, substantive questions. But by the same token, others were just completely insulted. One student asked, is it that time of the month? Um, I mean, I don't care who the presenter is. I mean, you're this is juvenile behavior. And the fact that oh, it absolutely. was done and the fact that it was done, you know, with a federal judge in the room, look, some of the students were like, well, what do we owe you? You know, why why should we give you any more deference than than anybody else? Well, you know, law students better understand that when you're in a courtroom or even outside of a courtroom, when you're speaking to a judge, it's just proper decorum to give that person the level of respect. You know, I heard one person say that it's not 
about respecting the person necessarily. It's about respecting the position, respecting the robe, and understanding that as lawyers, you have an obligation to do that. And I was just, it was incredible to me, the level of disrespect and, and the level of just childishness. I mean, there were points at which the DEI dean was was giving her remarks, and you can hear dozens of students in the background snapping. And I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> are we in high school? Like, this is just, it seemed to me so inappropriate. But let's talk a little bit about the free speech aspect of this. What is the university's policy with respect to uh, speakers who come to campus? Stanford, like many universities, even if it's a private university and isn't bound by the First Amendment per se, has policies that very much reflect First Amendment values. So a lot of people keep saying Stanford's not bound by the First Amendment. Fine, but it has voluntarily issued policies that reflect the values of the First Amendment. And furthermore, as a private non-sectarian institution in California, it's also subject to something called the uh, Leonard Law, which basically applies a number of First Amendment protections to students. But anyway, Stanford has a policy that prevents the disruption of an event that prevents the effective carrying out of that event. And that's exactly what happened here. Yes, the event sort of took place, kind of. It ended way early. Uh, the judge didn't get to deliver anywhere near his complete prepared remarks. But the effective carrying out of that event was definitely prevented. Mm -hmm. And Dean Jenny Martinez of the law school in a message she gave to the Stanford community on the Friday after the Thursday, in an apology she sent to Judge Duncan over the weekend, and in a 10-page detailed memo she issued this past Wednesday, made clear that the policy was violated. She said she is not going to punish the protesters, and she cited is that her own DEI dean went up there and kind of endorsed the proceedings because the concluding line of Dean Steinbach's remarks was, when I look out and I, I don't ask what is going on here, I say, I'm glad about what's going on here. Correct. So I do think that her own dean did muddy the waters. And I think that Dean Martinez wants this to be a sort of first strike. Look, you now you know the policy. Now you know how seriously we take it. Please don't do it again. If you do, then you will be punished. Mm -hmm. What's been the response, if any, from the student groups with respect to the two uh, letters that have been sent out or the apology and then the, the long 10 page response that you mentioned, what's been the response from from the student body? So the initial apology just made some students even more angry. And on the Monday after the apology to Judge Duncan went out and became public, a number of students, I my sources estimate maybe 60 or 70, had a protest of Dean Martinez for <laughs> issuing the apology in part. She is a professor of constitutional law. When she walked into her classroom, her entire whiteboard was covered with protest signs. And as she left the classroom, a bunch of students had formed a sort of human wall and they just glared at her as she walked past. Uh, ironically enough, that would have been fine with Judge Duncan because silent protest is not a right. violation of university policy. Right. A lot of people who are on the other side of this issue will say, well, you just want to quiet all dissent. You want to shut down all protest protest when it, whether it comes to civil rights or Vietnam or what have you. But that's not the case that, that people who are 
really troubled by what happened to Judge Duncan want to shut down all protests. It's fine to protest, but there are ways to do it. You can quietly hold up signs that don't obstruct anyone's view. You can ask tough questions in Q&A. You can have a counter event of your own. You can put up posters before and after he comes, which they were doing. There are many, many other ways to voice your dissent or your problems with Judge Duncan uh, uh, instead of just trying to shout him down. But anyway, in addition, two groups, um, the uh, National Lawyers Guild and the American Constitution Society, both left of center groups, sent around emails uh, that weekend, essentially standing by the protesters and uh, uh, defending what happened. So instead of being apologetic or backing down or expressing regret, they doubled down. I wanted to play something real quick, if we can. This is a, a, a short clip from... Dean Chemerinsky, who was on Morning Joe, uh, and this is what he had to say about the protest. What's at issue, as you said, is freedom of speech. And the key is there's no right to use speech to silence others. There's no heckler's veto. If there were, then the only speech that we would hear is that which no one cared enough to shout down. I send a message to the Berkeley community every fall making clear that we should be a place where all ideas and views can be expressed, and that if there's ever disruption of speakers, then those who disrupt face student disciplinary charges. I mean, I think that really sums it up, that they're they're not necessarily subject to the First Amendment, but there are First Amendment principles that are written into their student guidelines. And I don't think anyone would have had a problem with the protesters holding up signs. Now, obviously, you don't want vulgarities on the signs, or you'd prefer not to have that. But it seems to me like Judge Duncan could have dealt with that and would still have yes, been able absolutely. To, would, would still have been able to give his remarks. And then following that, these protest students could have asked all manner of questions about his judicial philosophy, about decisions that he had made, about why he made those decisions. Now look, the judge could have elected not to answer some of those questions. But there would have at least been a civil dialogue about what the students had a problem with. And I guess what's really most astounding to me is the sense of entitlement by these students. You've been doing this for a long time. Do you think that this is a an elite law school atmosphere? Do you think this same thing would happen at, quote unquote, less elite schools? Like, why do you think this particular student body felt that they had permission to do what they did. I think it is a phenomenon very much concentrated on elite law schools. The other poster child for this problem is Yale Law School and Yale and Stanford are number one and number two in the rankings. It isn't exclusively limited to, say, the so-called T14 or top 14 law schools. There was a shout-down of Ilya Shapiro at the law school formerly known as Hastings. So there have been these events elsewhere. But I do think that it does reflect a sense of privilege, a sense of entitlement, a sense that they can't have certain people or certain ideas invading their space. Going to what Dean Chemerinsky was just saying in the clip you played, A lot of people have tried to say, well, the First Amendment also includes our right to speak. But as Mm -hmm. Professor Chemerinsky, who's an eminent scholar of constitutional law, pointed out, the case law, the doctrine 
does not include some right to shout somebody down in this type of academic environment. Different rules apply to, say, a plaza or a street corner or some place where people are allowed to just shout. But a classroom environment is different. And there are rules analogous to time, place, and manner rules about who speaks in the classroom and when. So Dean Chemerinsky and Dean Martinez and the others who have won this are absolutely right. The First Amendment does not include your right to shout down the other person. Yeah. And, and I, you know, it, not that this needs to be pointed out, but Dean Chemerinsky is not, uh, you know, he doesn't have any fondness for the Federalist Society, nor is he a conservative. So this is not some conservative dean coming out saying, you know, shame on the students. You know, and I thought one one other thing I thought that was really interesting was that the students were perfectly okay with shouting down Judge Duncan, but then there was a point at which the DEI dean is making her presentation, and Judge Duncan tries to ask a question, and they begin shouting, let her speak, let her speak. And I'm, I'm sitting there listening to this thinking, the hypocrisy. Like, okay, yes. because, you know, and then there were accusation, accusations that the reason he didn't want her to speak was because she's Black. I mean, totally unfounded accusations. It's just, it was just a whole, the whole event was really shocking to me. Moving to Judge Duncan's part of this quickly. I, I encourage everyone to listen to the audio. Um, a little bit's hard to understand because it's, uh, you know, the whenever someone shouts that's very close to the person who's recording, it kind of drowns out everything else. But you can certainly get the gist of it. And like I said at the beginning, I think there was a point at which certainly right after DEI Dean gave her presentation that he came up, he came back to the podium and he was, he was upset and you could tell. And I think that part of it, that much of it is okay. You have to understand what he's now gone through between walking through the school, getting to the classroom, coming into the classroom, trying to give these remarks and not being able to do so. But at some point, I think he should have taken the temperature down uh, it's funny that one of those student leaders who, after the DEI dean gave her presentation, said something along the lines of, let's tone down the heckling slightly. So he Yes, can exactly. His, yeah, so he can give his remarks. So, and they did, to the students' credits, you know, they did get, they did quiet down a bit. There was still some random interjections and, and rude comments. But then there started to get a Q&A, uh, a, a semblance of a Q&A began. What feedback, if any, have you had from folks who have listened to that? And then, you know, is there is there any thought or uh, a consensus growing that, yeah, this was really bad. But at some point, at some point, Judge Duncan really should have said, OK, that's over with. Let's get to uh, at least having a discussion. I think that most people agree with your take on it, Robert, that what happened was really horrible and and made nobody look good. And the students were completely out of line. But I think people also would say that Judge Duncan, at a certain point, after he was no longer surprised by what was going on, could have collected himself better, could have proceeded more calmly. Uh, again, I'm not going to judge him too harshly. I've never been protested like that. I don't know what it's like to have 100 angry people staring you down. So I'm not going to get on a high horse here and lecture him. But uh it, it was regrettable. Uh, it was it was unfortunate. And I do wish he had been calmer. But I do think that the Q&A, which, as you mentioned, I've posted on Original Jurisdiction, is somewhat more substantive than people realize. There was some discussion yeah. of 
uh, controversial issues and how judges should deal with them. There was discussion of the judicial role. There was even discussion of whether or not Judge Duncan subscribes to a particular constitutional theory. So there was some discussion, but I do think that if Judge Duncan had been calmer and if he had done what Josh Blackman did in 2018, what Josh did was he put aside his prepared remarks. He basically sat down at the front of the room, I think, and he said to the students, okay, let's talk. Let's let's talk about what's bothering you guys. Let's let's really hash this out. And right. let me clear up some misconceptions that you seem to have about me. Uh, if he had done it in that way, uh, things might have proceeded better. But again, I'm not going to judge him. I've never been in that situation. Um, and so uh, I don't know how I would react. And I don't know how a lot of us would react. Yeah, no, I agree with you 100%. Have you heard anything about the aftermath? You know, any changes that will be made at the school? or any any changes from the judges in terms of what they're going to do with folks from Stanford? Sure. So I have not heard anything about either an additional boycott or expansion of the boycott. I did reach out to Judge Ho. I have not heard back from him. I don't know if he's decided what he wants to do, whether he wants to add Stanford to the boycott. Judge Duncan did 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 not say he was going to do a boycott. And in fact, he expressed thanks to the Stanford Federalist Society for inviting him. And he said that in many ways, they were the ones whose rights were violated because they came to listen to him and they didn't really get to listen to him. Right. So I don't think he's going to be implementing a boycott unnecessarily. I think it does affect the reputation of Stanford Law School, which I think is why Dean Martinez was so proactive and so forceful in trying to get ahead of this and not allow it to tarnish the Stanford Law School brand. In terms of what happens next, Dean Martinez did say in her memo that they are going to be making some policy changes. They're going to be making it clearer what is and is not acceptable in terms of protest. I think they're going to also be making clearer the types of punishments available for that. And then on the speaker side, I am hearing rumblings of some judges, including perhaps other Fifth Circuit judges who are reconsidering whether they should come to Stanford. I don't know that any of them would necessarily meet with the same kind of reception as Judge Duncan. He may be the most controversial judge uh, on that court in that respect. But I think judges are concerned because, A, they don't want to go into an environment where they are confronted by this. And I think, B, some of them feel that Stanford should have to pay some sort of price for acting in such a manner towards their colleagues. Um, now, I'm conflicted on this because, on the other hand, you could say, look, there are some innocent people who had nothing yes. to do with that protest who are now losing out on the opportunity to hear these great judges. So I'm torn on that. Um, I'm not going to judge a judge who goes either way on that. That's right. sort of their personal call. But it's really unfortunate, and it is really not a good thing for Stanford, which uh, up until this point had really not had any controversy like this. All right, David, thank you so much for taking time for me today. I will, of course, post in the show notes links to Original Jurisdiction, your podcast, and where else can people find you? Yeah, I am on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, most forms of social media, and my uh, newsletter is available at davidlatt.substack.com. So thanks for having me on. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Well, folks, that's a wrap. Thank you, as always, for listening. And thanks again to David Latt for joining me. I will put all of his social media links in the show notes, along with some other relevant documents that we discussed today and that are pertinent to the issue. I want to also thank my friend Chris Clark for editing and producing this podcast. 
You can find him and his work at vimeo.com backslash pendulum productions, LLC. Thanks again for listening folks. And remember case law is one word. Thank you.